Welcome back to Your Ag Empire, where we roll up our sleeves, dig in the dirt, and uncover the secret to success in the world of agriculture. I'm your host, Jonathan Harrelson, a Texas farmer and rancher, farm risk consultant, and commodity coach. New episodes drop on Wednesdays on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube, and we'd be honored to have you as a subscriber. Today, we're joined by Kyler and Morgan, a dynamic husband and wife duo. They've navigated corporate jobs, started their own commercial general con- contracting construction company, and faced challenges like drought and herd dispersal. In this episode, we delve into their journey of becoming entrepreneurs within the corporate world, the dynamics of working as a couple, and the importance of open communication. Join us as Kyler and Morgan share the highs and lows of building a business from the ground up and handling unexpected curveballs. This is your Ag Empire, where we uncover the entrepreneurial spirit within agriculture. Welcome to the podcast, Kyler and Morgan of McComas Cattle Company. You're located in Pawnee County, Oklahoma, uh, but neither of you are originally from Pawnee County. Is it best to assume you're cowboys and just couldn't imagine leaving the Stillwater area? That's absolutely true. I would say both of us are cowboys to the bone. We both went to Oklahoma State, so... We both grew up in Oklahoma. I actually was born in Edmond and then grew up in Chandler, bounced around a little bit, came back there. And then whenever I came to Oklahoma State, uh, my parents were in the place that they still are today. So Oklahoma is in our blood. Kind of same way with her. Yeah, I grew up in southeast Oklahoma uh, in McCurtain County and Mm -hmm. came to school up here, kind of moved off after school for a while. And then we just found our way back to Stillwater area. So, yeah. Couldn't help to leave. I, I I do understand. I have a fondness for for College Station, and A and M, and I can't believe I've got some OSU Cowboys on here. I mean, we won't hold that against you. <laughs> That's great. So we've got you on the on the show today, and and you guys are serial entrepreneurs. I mean, yes. Let's take a chance. You know that that's got to be you guys your motto. Um, let's talk a little bit about Firebrand Construction. So Firebrand Construction is kind of a, man, it is a long journey and dream to get to where it started. So my dad, he's a general contractor and I started out as free labor in construction when I was 12, because you know, that's what you do with your kids. Sure. Got to teach them something and, and they're handy. So they're right there. So really learned and began in the trade back when I was a kid and progressed forward. And I'll, I'll never forget having a conversation with that. I want to say I was probably like 17 or 18 and I really wanted to be a horse trainer. And he was like, you know, you really probably should pick something that makes a little bit more money than training horses. And so that's when I picked my degree to go into construction management and went and got in line with a professor and really kind of coached me through how I was going to go through my last year of high school and then into college and uh, worked my way into a position for construction company here in Stillwater. And that was a really, really good opportunity for me because I was able to work for them for three years while Mm -hmm. uh, I was going to school. And really, they educated me probably as much or more than going to college did because I was able to cut my teeth on real projects 
all around Payne County and develop a lot of relationships that today for Firebrand are so instrumental in what we do on a daily basis. So it was it was really good kind of bringing it full circle that a lot of those players in the market are still there. So after college, uh, went to Kansas, I moved to uh, Wichita and worked for a construction company up there. And again, got some great opportunities to build a, a lot of cool projects. And Morgan and I started dating after, oh, it was probably a couple of years of me being into Kansas. Mm-hmm. She was living in Texas at the yeah. time. And I convinced her to like me because after college, she was like, that boy is too crazy. <laughs> yeah. He was just very rowdy. And I deleted him off of Facebook. <laughs> yeah, she deleted me off Facebook. That is a true story. <laughs> That's funny. Anyway, it came back together. It was it's great. It's fine. But yeah, so he was in Kansas and um working for a company that he really loved. Yeah, he really did love, yeah. love that company and the the mentors that I had there, I mean, still to this day, I mean, great people. Mm-hmm. I mean, super, super good. Use those use those traits that they instilled in me um, all along the way. And then had an opportunity to go into uh, oil and gas side of the world and mm-hmm. was really fortunate with some opportunities over there and really grow and hone a whole different skill set that I didn't really know anything about, which was civil construction. Yeah. I mean, had definitely understood it from being in commercial construction, but really dove into that. And man, I love moving dirt and pouring sure. concrete. It is, it is something that's just, once you're into that, it's in your blood and, and you got to do it every day. So that was, it was a really cool opportunity to do that in a whole different sector. I mean, it's going from commercial construction with architects and developers to some uh, location out in West Texas where people only care about one thing and that's whatever they think that day. And it didn't matter what the engineers said. So it's a whole different mm-hmm. mindset to get to learn and be part of. And then through that, you know, we, it had always been my goal to have my own company. I mean, yeah. from the time I was a kid. You know, you bring that up and and I'm, I'm curious. So you're working these other jobs deep down. I mean, could, could you feel that, that entrepreneurial spirit was it there every day? Yeah. You knew we talked this about was, it. Yeah. Yeah. From from day one. Couldn't I just I know it's always been something to me. It's not that I don't respect people, it's just that sure. I really want to be a leader. I want to set the path for everything to go down. And I, I'm always thinking that was something dad always instilled in me. You know, you got to be thinking four or five moves ahead of what you're doing, not just what you're doing right now, and to be successful. And you know, if your four or five moves ahead don't align with everybody else's four or five moves, then you're just back to square one. And a lot of times that was really frustrating to me. Like, what's the path? What are we doing? How are we going to be successful for five years or 10 years or to really perpetuate a business? And so, you know, the good Lord was fortunate enough to put throw a monkey wrench in my corporate plan of working for other people. and. Um, at that time, he was like, you need to go do your own thing. And I was let go of the position that I had. And it was something that I had worked into for a long time. I was the president of a company and it just was what it was. The The good Lord was like, hey, it's time for you to do your own thing. And when that happened, Morgan had been growing in her corporate footprint and what she was doing. And I can kind of let her, cause her story is just as important as mine in this whole deal. So yeah, Morgan, give us, give us this, this breakdown because 
anytime you have, you know, Kyler, you, you, you rose up to a position as a president of a company making good money. You're, you're living the American dream. I mean, you really yeah. are, Yeah. but you yeah. still got this, you still got this passion mm-hmm. and yeah. you've got this lovely wife, Morgan, that's over here. She's working her corporate job. Things are great. Like it's rosy. Yeah. This is like the American yeah. couple right here. I mean, it really was. So he has always had a really strong entrepreneurial drive. And so it was never if, but when. It was always when. When's it going to happen? And what's it going to look like? Because we have this like equilibrium in our lives of cattle versus construction. And so we knew it was going to happen. We just didn't know exactly what it was going to look like. And all the while, I kind of stumbled into... Um, this company that I really loved and um, they're based in Austin, Texas. I worked remotely even before it was a thing with COVID and they did property management Mm -hmm. and real estate development specifically for like off-campus university housing, big apartment complexes, and then um, some multifamily and some condos and a little bit of single family rent. So they kind of dabbled in a lot of things, but Really, my career path with them started taking off kind of around the same time that Kyler's corporate career was really, really ramping up. And so when like the wheels fell off right at his corporate job, I was fortunate enough to be kind of scaling my own corporate career enough to where it was okay. Sure. Like, it was okay that the wheels fell off. It was honestly probably something that we had, you know, again, never, never an if, but always a win. And so it just kind of forced the win. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I held on to mine. uh, I held on to my job and really focused on growing that side of my career to be our fail safe. Mm -hmm. Um, And he had this decision to make then, right? I've got the opportunity. We have the means. Um, what, which, which one am I going to do? Am I going to go full-time into ag? Am I going to start a construction company? Mm -hmm. And that was, uh, I'll never forget. Morgan came to me and she said, we're, we're good for a minute. So you need to go clear your head and just get square with the world and figure out like whatever we're going to do, it needs to be the right decision and we're not doing it right now. And that was like, yeah, I was like beginning, you know, beginning of Q4 of, of 20. And so we we're really just like, let's just put a pause on it. She's sure. got us good at home. We can, we can pay the bills. Everything's going to be okay. We'll figure it and out. Then we'll yeah. figure it out. And so, um, so let, let me pause you for a second here. Yeah. During that, process, Kyler. I mean, you talk about having to clear your head. I mean, there's a lot of folks that I, I I talk to that are entrepreneurs and like you, you get hit with, you know, that, that freight train comes through and it just totally derails your plans. Like, what did that feel like? And did you let yourself fall into any kind of a, um, you know, like a victimhood type thinking or were you always positive and upbeat? Oh, I was not always positive and upbeat. I was pretty angst and just like trying to, you know, it, it's something whenever you really push and make something, which I had helped develop that company into a lot 
more success than you know mm. really pushing my my goals into what what it was and it was successful so it's cool anytime that you see something that you're you're creating to take off it's awesome to see that so when it's taken away from me you're like now what do i do mm. and so just trying to figure out that next step for myself was it was hard like i i mean i remember going in the shop every day you know used to you i'm sitting at a computer making phone calls business plans whatever it is yeah driving all over texas or colorado going to pre-bids looking at projects and now i'm just in the shop and it's just me and and <laughs> i need to go i need to go fix some fence and i mean that was so bizarre for me because i've never not had you know responsibility beyond whatever i had to do that day at home and it was weird sometimes the hardest person to be with is us absolutely yeah we can be our our biggest critic uh, yeah. as entrepreneurs, and I think that's that's crucial because, like our listeners that that are here that are are struggling as they have a new business or maybe they they branched out and done something, you know, sometimes that part of it right there, you need that support system, and mm-hmm. I think, you know, just like Holly is my support system, we're a team. You guys obviously are, are a team. We talked earlier about some of this and, you know, you being able to to have your job as a safe spot, but you also, you've got to be that partner that's helping pick him up to an extent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was a, it was a forced pause yeah. and it was so good because it really, it, it, he's always played the long game, you know, yep. in everything that he's done. And so, I think it gave him time to collect his thoughts, to really figure out what he wants the next step to look like. We weren't in a position that we had to rush, thankfully. And he worked through kind of a lot of those things that you're talking about, the stress, the anxiety that can come with the decision to start a business, the stress and anxiety that comes with leaving something that feels so familiar that you've built up this whole time. and it really made him be alone with himself and it made me buckle up buttercup because we're about to do something and I'm getting on board, you know, whatever it's going to look like. And so it was a good, it was a good pause that we didn't ask for, but we needed. I I think society, I think one of the, the fast paced corporate Mm -hmm. system that we have, Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it allows us the time to think about it. I think this this is something that really is impacting I think a lot of people that won't get off the you know they're they're centered and they're like, okay, it's safe because every morning I know at eight o'clock I'm gonna go check my emails. I'm gonna get a cup of coffee. I'm gonna make three yeah. phone calls. then we're gonna I'm gonna go out in the lobby. I'm gonna talk to this person and you know and and, and they get this routine that they're just so accustomed to. and and I feel like in my entrepreneur journey, that was, everybody's asked me like, what's the hardest thing? And I think it's that first six months that you, that you don't have to answer to anybody like Mm -hmm. your success or your failure, you're wearing 100% on those shoulders. Absolutely. And in a way it's kind of exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it gives you an opportunity. I've, I've, I feel like my journey in entrepreneurs being an entrepreneur has, has been one of those journeys that has brought me closer to God. I feel like, I feel like it's really opened up that because there's a lot of times you get brought to your knees. 
For sure. Absolutely. I would say through this, I am way stouter of a Christian than I've ever been because you have to be. Yeah. <laughs> you can't survive without no. it. No. Yeah. And not do it the right way. Right. Because yeah. you're yeah. making tons of huge decisions. And um, like, yeah, there's a thing like such a thing as a moral compass, but it has to be grounded to something. Right. And so it keeps you focused mm-hmm. on making sound decisions that are going to affect your business and your partnerships forever. Absolutely. And I would say one thing like to the entrepreneurs that are coming out of the corporate world setting and into your own thing. One thing that I struggled with was scale because I was used to operating at such a bigger scale that when you go to now you're, I'm a one or two man operation and I'm used to doing large things and now we're going to do something small. You have to be, you have to be really mindful to not be stressed out about well, I'm, I, this is what I'm the volume that I'm used to doing. It's okay to step back. Just look yeah. at profitability and making it to next week in the beginning. Like let's be take small baby bites, baby steps on what we're going to get through for the next two months, as opposed to, oh my gosh, we got to do 10 million in revenue by the end of the year. This thing's the wheels are going to come off. So that was something that I had to really come to grips with is it's okay to put small pieces in place and do it right to get to the next level. So, but it was something I struggled with in the beginning. I hate to sound cliche, but it's, it's like, uh, you know, buy low, sell high. And, you know, everybody asks me, what's the key to success? It's buy low, sell high. I mean, that, that's really like, it's as simple as that. Um, and, and, and you can apply that in a lot of different things, but it's the small, simple stuff we overlook, you know, that, yeah. When you're an entrepreneur, you take chances and you you take calculated risk. That's the key. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. You know, I'm sure you you're probably a spreadsheet guy. I'm just guessing. I love it. <laughs> it's a strong so, guess. <laughs> so you've probably got metrics measuring every little thing, just because you don't want to stump your toe. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and when you make those those big jumps like that i mean I, that's the way i was it was everything's calculated everything's measured um you're not technically flying by the seat of your pants even though you kind of feel that way yeah yeah and i think it's fair to say too just for anyone who is listening that's going into this is it's not like always a perfectly linked arms partnership Right. Like if you're going in, like you said, your support <laughs> system is your wife. But to be completely honest, I didn't know anything about construction. Sure. I didn't really know anything about cows when we got into the cow thing. But what I did know was he's going to do this. I am on board. I support it. Mm-hmm. Go do it. I, I'm, it's worth the risk. But to be totally honest, at the beginning, I didn't build Firebrand with him. Sure. I was just like he, earlier, he was like, you were just a sounding board when I got home at night. And I, yeah. I mean, that was my role because I felt like in that time period, my job was to to be the safety net. You know, mm-hmm. I, I still had my job. We didn't both take the leap at the same time. And so I was still focused on my career and he really had to bear that burden alone at the first part of Firebrand. And so I, I just wanted to say that because I think that that's yeah. important too, is it's not always like we look at each other and high five and start a business and it's going to be great yeah. because it wasn't like that. We didn't operate 
seamlessly together for that first bit of firebrand. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure vision wise, I mean, because, you know, Kyler was immersed in it like this. He wakes yeah. up in the morning. That was, it was him, his thoughts. And how do mm-hmm. we turn this into something? And, yep. you know, Morgan, you're, you're, you're over here. You're still, you're making good Working. money. He's got the corporate high. job. I was climbing that ladder. Yeah. <laughs> Morgan, just just to brag on her, everybody would ask me like what her title is, and I'm like, I don't know what it is this this month because she's had she had so many promotions in the company that she was in, I couldn't keep up with it. So she was doing really well and taking care of what we needed to, yeah. and that really allowed me to not really have to worry about Firebrand making a salary for me for the first year, which was a huge sure. blessing. I mean, for that, yeah. And, it was it was great timing. Everything was really good timing for us. But then it got to the point that Firebrand grew and I was drowning. Like the year and a half in, I was, I mean, it was a fire hose all day long, every day, accounting, project management, trying to resolve field problems, bidding new projects. And we're a one-man band over here trying to cover all that bandwidth. And then Morgan's kind of corporate story started yeah getting so, a little wiggle in it yeah uh, yeah so i traveled a lot in mm-hmm. my old job right had to go visit again kind of the back side of construction so would develop these apartment complexes i kind of would go in as property manager slash owner's rep in the construction side of things and so that required me to travel so sure. As he is literally starting this company, I had never traveled more in my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was gone. And we have two kids. Like, we yeah. have two small kids. So, I mean, we have a, an amazing support system with our children, which we're so thankful for. But it really was a stressful time. And so it's not always roses. And, and just because you get the confidence up to make the decision of like, yeah, we're going to start this business. It doesn't really stop there. You know, it, it's very much a continued different kind of stress. And so sure. he was working through that. I was focused on my thing. And then, yeah, it, it kind of came to a head. Yeah, we had to have a, a come to Jesus. We did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did. And, yeah. and it was more so, I think at the time, kind of related to the cow side, which we really haven't talked about that too much. But so the the construction company is is taking off and elevating, but the cow company, the our seed stock operation, it was taken off too. And like I'm trying to juggle everything on those yeah. two fronts, and she's handling her trying to keep our ship afloat here. Yeah, yeah. and sure. so I'm like, I need help. You have to be a partner here in yeah. this, in more than in just our relationship. And it was that was a pivotal conversation. I think we were talking about it earlier, and I think that's probably the most important conversation that we had together as a team to really push forward. I mean, and it speaks so much to like the mental health side of it, right? Which I think Mm -hmm. you look into quite a bit, right? Mm -hmm. Because you get to a point, like he said, he's drowning, like building this thing solo, really. And I'm just like, you got it, babe, you know, and doing my thing. And you know, he just looked at me one night and he was like, I need a partner. Yeah. I need you to be a partner. And I'm over here thinking, 
I'm being a great partner. I'm like, I'm helping us finance this thing. I'm helping keep us afloat. Um, but he really was, you know, a struggle. It's as an entrepreneur, sometimes you do struggle like that and you feel like you need some help. Morgan, have you felt any underlying pressure? I guess like Holly and I were talking about this. It, it seems like, you know, we're, we're taught, get an education, get a good job. You work the, you work the system, you get up there, you know, yeah. and, and you're making great money. And as a woman in the working world, was it a battle to be successful and be mom? Oh yeah, of course it was. I, I think that's always the battle, right? It's like tale as old as time, but I will say my company did a fantastic job sure. of supporting me in that. So even though I had a corporate job, they were extremely supportive of all things family life. And so, um, like I got to, when Maudie was a newborn, we have a daughter named Maudie mm-hmm. and she was a newborn. I just took her with me. Sure. You know, if, if we needed to, if I needed to run down to Austin and go to headquarters, I'd just take her. And, um, so they were really supportive in that way, but yeah, there's always a battle, especially with the travel. There's the, there's the pressure from the outside world telling you, you should be a power woman and make moves and be a girl Mm -hmm. boss. And then there's the pressure from the outside world. That's like, how dare you leave your kids every single day and go be a girl boss. And then internally there's this conflict of like pride. You know, yeah. I feel really good about what I'm doing yeah. and as, as a working mom and then also guilt, of I feel really bad about what I'm doing as a working mom. And so, yeah, definitely. That's a struggle. I think anyone's going to face. That's, that's so that we, we've battled that exact same thing as we've been growing our entrepreneurial uh, businesses over the years as Holly was a, a pharmacist and you know, and it, it's tough because she was having to dedicate time on the wow. bench, taking care of patients and, you know, and I had the kids. Uh, and so I feel like that's that. Not, and I, I value that time. That was great. Uh, wouldn't trade it. I feel like I got the better end of the, the deal. Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but but I know now as as she's able to better balance being mom and an entrepreneur and i feel like that we've we've got like the perfect situation now yeah Um, it takes time though i also feel like we're in that really sweet spot now um obviously a lot changed i clearly no longer work a corporate job i work full-time at firebrand with kyler now but um yeah i think we've kind of hit that same sweet spot where you get you figure out the balance but it takes some time Sure. And that was a whole leap in itself. I mean, to leave the corporate world and not have that safety net of yeah. somebody else paying a, a W-2 to keep us afloat. It's it's all in sink or swim. If we eat or don't eat or pay the bills, it's all on us yeah. every month from now on. Kyler, I think I think what shifted in my mind when that, that last paycheck hit was like, what am I going to, where's money going to come from three months from now, six months, yeah. eight months? a year like you know you've constantly got to be thinking ahead uh and it's just sometimes and i think this is why a lot of folks don't make it in their entrepreneurial um enterprises is is that it's dawning weight that we have to carry sometimes it, it almost seems like it doesn't matter how big of a nest egg you try to put forth to make it it's not going to get as far as you want to either you, you've really got to be you got to hustle every day 
yeah. for those dollars and just to try to make it work. I want to talk a little bit about your grittiness. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I know a lot of people use that grit, but what I've noticed is that people that can dig deep when it looks like you, you should, you'd be better off just shutting the doors, yeah. <laughs> you know? But yeah. you dig deep, and if you can ever get on top of that mountain, you've got it licked. Like, you you were there. Like, success, you've, you've hit it. You've hit that mountain. But for you guys, what are some core things that you went through I'm gonna that just totally caused you to, to think about or re, refocus your, your direction or give you clarity as you were moving forward in this phase? In the firebrand phase? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as you, yeah. you know, as we got Kyler losing his job and then mm -hmm. Morgan, you're, you know, you're finally stepping out and we're weaning off of that paycheck. Yeah. Like from there, like where, what were some of those pivotal points that you think like really gave you that grit or you had to dig deep, you know? I think just, I mean, any transition in any reflection time, like that is such a pivotal moment, you know, especially the way I was allowed to have it with a little bit of a break. That was huge. Mm -hmm. That that point in time, you know, especially when you're alone with yourself and you've got nobody that reports to you anymore. Those all those changes that happened. You're on your own. So you you're back down to the bottom. You have to work your way back up and finding the grit to put every day together is is really big in that moment like you have to dig down and say i'm gonna do this because there's nobody to point to to say you've got to go do this because you're your only man at that point and i think that that the grit and tenacity comes from there from what we do and and too we just i mean appreciate hard work and we've got great employees now that really do um have helped us put it together like we can't you know say that we've done it all because we've got a great yeah. band of band of folks that work with us now and it's it's really fun to watch them come bring it together so yeah. I, I think some of the pivotal moments that really required like grit in your words mm -hmm. the you know that term would be that time off between kyler's corporate job and deciding what kind of business are we starting Yep. That required a lot of like soul searching, <laughs> honest evaluation of your skills and your existing knowledge, your existing experience, your existing network. I yep. mean, those things are all part of coming up with that plan. And then I think another time that required some grit is um, obviously me leaving my job where I felt very comfortable um, sure. in what I was doing as far as the workload and confident about what was being required of me at work every day to step into this arena that I had really not a lot of experience in, let's be honest. And it, I mean, it's a whole new level of self-confidence that you have to find. And it's also usually, I would say in most entrepreneurial settings, at some point you get served like a really good piece of humble pie. Sure. And that happened to me, obviously changing because my gosh, here I am used to being the one that answers the questions. <laughs> and now I'm showing up at work and I'm like, what does this mean? Tell me, this, <laughs> what is this abbreviation that I'm looking at? 
how does math work? Because I haven't used that in a long time. Like, you know, really, it was humbling for me. And that required me to find, I mean, you can ask Kyler, there were moments right after I came over where I was like, I don't know if I can do this. (laughs) Uh, You know, not because not because of any other reason than just needing to find the confidence in myself to be like, it's okay to have to relearn things. It's okay to have to accept that I'm going to have to take some time and invest in myself and learn how to do something new. Um, So that definitely required some things. And then obviously there's these financial moments, right? In owning a business that requires a totally different kind of grit where you just are like, the faith part comes in and it's a wing and a prayer and you're doing the very, very best that you can to, and a good banker and sure. just doing the best you can to um, evaluate the resources that you have, what you've got coming in, what you've got going out and make decisions there. So there's so many different elements to like, quote unquote, grittiness that's required mm-hmm. in entrepreneurship. Um, but those were definitely some, some big moments, I think for us. Awesome. That's, that's, and I could see, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there was a challenge you guys working together and balancing that, you know, relationship at home versus at work, because, you know, like you said, you were, you were a power woman, you had the job, you were the answer, all the questions, very confident in where you were. Yeah, I was, and I was nervous obviously coming over. Um, but I will say this is from the faith side. Again, I feel confident in his leadership, like at our house, in our business. I know he's not going to do anything to directly and intentionally harm our family. Right. And so, yes, it was very humbling to come over. And yes, there were a few arguments to be had, but (laughs) for the most part, it's not always roses, listeners. It's not always roses. It's not. But <laughs> I think that the fundamental, like, right, that root, yeah. that foundation that you have, I was fine submitting to his authority at work. You know, it wasn't, that wasn't a question for me. He knows more about this industry. Sure. In so many ways. And so, yeah, there were challenges to coming over and working together. But I, I don't think that the conflict was there. I'm going to assume that you guys were open as far as communication goes, too. Yeah, there were a lot of conversations. I mean, we talked for probably four months about me coming over before I came over. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And I will say, as far as a relationship goes, we get along better today than we ever have. And we have always had a really strong relationship. But I think. One thing that in in that whenever we had our own come to Jesus moment of like having the partnership was that, you know, we really couldn't see each other's struggles through the day. Yes. And sure. that was always difficult. Like she didn't know whenever I was like toting probably more of a load than I should have been that day. And nor could I see that for her. Whereas, you know, when we're lockstep at work today, if she's having a bad day, I can go help her pick up her load for that day because. I'm 12 feet away and she can do the same thing for me and we can help carry each other's burdens. Mm -hmm. And it's a constant sounding board of, you know, we're in this together. It's our company. It's, it's Mm -hmm. not mine. Mm -hmm. And so having her here to be part of those decisions and part of that, 
decision making process is so huge. Now, I mean, does she know which which piece of equipment I want to buy or add on? No, but she can at least be integral to those conversations and and help, you know, is this really a good decision or not? Because I've had a lot of wild ones too that we didn't chase, like everybody does. And sometimes you have to be the fun hater. You know, she is. Saying. I've been going to Peter Boy, Peterbilt and the Low Boy for a long time. And she's like, no, we're gonna hire somebody to move the equipment because we don't need that. I, I mean, I hate to say it. I'd probably, I'd probably be on your side, Kyler. I mean, <laughs> so is, so is our son Wit. He's like, Dad, when are we getting semi? It's like a weekly conversation. When are we? Getting <laughs> you can't go out and buy a Freightliner. You got, you got to get yeah. the red oval. You got to support yeah. Peterbilt. That's just yeah. <laughs> where it's at. I think well, there is something to be said for just having a direct line of sight into the stressors of your business partner, but also of your life partner. Um, it gives you a different level of understanding for sure. And being open and honest as early as possible too. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what Holly and I have seen too, is, is I think, um, uh, you know, my wife, uh, we're open as far as communication goes. Like, I mean, I think you've got to, I think that's the, the biggest problems with, uh, guys that I've consulted in the past in you go to looking at their business, they're not operating as a team with their spouse. Mm-hmm. And if you guys are not building your empire together, you're building it apart and it's never going to work. No. There's yeah. always going to be a contention because um, I kind of look at it this way. You're cheating on your spouse mm-hmm. with the business. Yeah. You know? yeah. And and there's always going to be a love hate relationship there. And, and until you, you both are on the same page, you're not going to get this and build it where you want it. Um, right. And I, I think you guys are great examples. It is something cool that we've noticed that we're kind of a couple in this now, just noticing the other couples that work together and their di- their dynamics and their little empires and what they're doing. It is pretty neat to see yeah. other spouses do it together. And it is, I mean, it can be strenuous at times, but overall, I would say our experiences of, and seeing other people there, it's, it's better to be cohesive all yeah. the way around than apart. So yeah. Absolutely. So listeners, Take take that note. If you're starting a business, expanding your business, or you already have one, get your wife in on the details. She needs she's to the know. best partner you'll ever have. Yeah, exactly. And tell her that it's okay to feel like she's got to start from scratch. <laughs> yeah, it's okay to feel like you have to relearn it all. <laughs> yeah, and 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 don't get defensive when she asks questions. Yeah, there I think go. that that's hard sometimes. Yeah, but yeah, it was uh, just to give a little side story that's kind of funny. We. Whenever Morgan came over, um, she was just like trying to get into it. And I would say maybe like week three, I put her in charge of the biggest contract that we had handled to date. I was like, here, this could be your first job. And it was a gnarly monster of a project. And 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 all of our all the you know, our other counterparts are like, we promise it won't be like this one from now on. But, you know, trial by fire on the first round and she made it through. And so. She learned a lot. Yeah. Built built confidence there, though. We joke about it now. But in the moment, I was like, have you lost your mind? You are. You have just given me our biggest contract to date. And I have worked here for five minutes. But (laughs) we figured it out. That's good. Well, guys, it feels like a good time for us to hear from our sponsor who makes this podcast possible. The Empire Ag Elite Program is an annual membership 
for farmers, ranchers, and agribusiness owners who are ready to up-level all aspects of the whole of an operation by taking a deep dive into their books, their marketing strategy, in addition to peeling back the layers of their physical, mental, and spiritual health. To learn more, visit youragempire.com. All right, welcome back. We, uh, you know, we've talked about firebrand construction. Um, and there's an ag component to this, uh, duo here with me today. Um, you guys have had a cattle operation. Um, and I think you, you started out in a, in just a commercial cow calf operation where you're just putting pounds on the ground mm-hmm. and yeah. getting paid for it. Yeah. And that's, you know, we started that way cause I really didn't know, didn't understand seed stock or purebred much. I mean, yeah, I'd showed, um, some limousines when I was a kid and we had, you know, three or four registered animals, but it was never something that I was really immersed in or understood at all, but always had to get back into cattle as soon as we possibly could. And even whenever we lived in Kansas, we were trying to find property, always trying to do get into the industry. And we were finally fortunate enough to find some ground in Pawnee County that we were able to buy, build our house on and really start developing what we wanted to do. And immediately, you know, I know cow calf commercial cow calf so we jump into that and so we had bought two different sets of uh, like late fall pears and then some springs and we were uh needing to get a bull for this good set of cows that we bought so i start doing some research as i'd like to do and digging into the weeds and find uh, a bull sale up in cost city and oklahoma and there was uh, their operation up there was really built off of Schaff Angus Valley genetics, which to this day is the longest standing Angus uh, seed stock operation in the United States. And so I start just researching pedigrees, researching these bulls, trying to understand what what to go buy. And I find out that like the year before they'd had a flush of bulls that sold for like 750,000 and a half a million and 400,000. I'm like, hold on, bull spring? half a million dollars. So my, my mind is exploding and I'm like immediately, you know, so I'm trying to grow this cow calf thing. And this thing is like really interesting. The seed stock thing is to me. So go to the sale, pick out a bull. My dad goes with me because, you know, you got to take your dad with you to go buy a bull. Oh yeah. And, uh, so we, we sort through them and get a couple picks and, uh, I buy a bull and they're, they were also selling some cows and bread heifers and some pears and stuff that day too. And, I'd went through those and there was this just a big old wide hipped, deep, soft made, just a big old cow, shoff cow that was there. And she had a really nice bull calf by her side. She was a little bit older and I was like, that's a cool cow. And dad's like, ah, it's too big or whatever he said, you know. So we're sitting there in the stands and the, it was, it was just a video auction. She comes up and so I start bidding on her and he was kind of sitting with his back to me and I bought this cow. <laughs> and so the ring guy comes over and gets my number. He's like, did you just buy that cow? And I was like, yeah. So he's just like flabbergasted that I gave $3,200 for this pair or whatever it was. You know, dad's uh, like, cows aren't worth $1,800. It's, it's dad, you know. Oh, yeah. And so get her home and again, not knowing anything about the seed stock, but that was our beginning in the Angus journey. And sure. It has been such a cool ride ever since. I mean, that cow we had up until um, this year, and she was one of the, Morgan nicknamed her Uno, because that was the first 
first registered cow we ever had. But anyway, so it really started a progress for us to let's let's figure out something more to do with our operation than just make pounds to try to make something that the guys that are making pounds can really use to put more profit in their pockets. And it was such a trial and error and a, a growth phase for us to get through. I mean, we started initially, even in that first year that I bought that cow, I just bought her to have a cow and maybe, you know, maybe we sell that bull and it is what it is. Yeah. Just play, just play with it. And- yeah. Just play with it. And mm-hmm. I just couldn't leave it alone. I had this is that entrepreneurial drive. This is it, guys. It does not matter if it's construction or ag or farming or whatever, but he just had to grow. Mm-hmm. Like what we were doing, it couldn't just be the same thing over and over. He had to find a way to learn something new, build something new, make something better. It mm-hmm. had to grow in that way. And so when he found, the registered Angus game, it just, I mean, it played right into his hand, you know. Sure. And and having, you know, it's just like anything else, having good support people around you. So we had these good set of commercial cows that we started with and we wanted to make some good replacements because a lot of those were older. We need to mm-hmm. refresh the crop here pretty quick. So I started researching bulls and found a, um, a bull that I liked. And the sales rep for ST at the time was Mike Marlowe, which he's pretty involved in a lot of uh, circles, especially here and even up north. And so really became a great friend of us and a great mentor for me in what we are doing even today in our seed stock operation and really taught me a lot about it. I mean, I didn't know how to AI, didn't know how to set up a cow to do anything. I mean, it was Uh a foreign thing to me from top to bottom. And I mean, really just jumped in with both feet. So that was the spring of that year to the fall of that year. Okay, we're buying seed stock cows from Montana and really trying to grow with some operations. And we bought, I think, every wrong cow a guy could buy. <laughs> Which you do. I mean it's part of it. Yeah. yeah. And so that was that was definitely a learning curve. But we really it was something that we weren't, you know, again that first year we were trying to figure out. Which way do we go? Is this something we just play with a little bit to sure. the second year? Every commercial cow is now a recip. We're bought our first donor. We're flushing cows. We're mm-hmm. putting in embryos. We had co- a cooperator herd actually. Um, that's how kind of we got on this podcast is Brooke Clay's dad, Bobby Clay, helped mm-hmm. us a lot with flushing cows and even put in some embryos for us. We've got a great operation down there. So let me just talk through this uh, this evolution. Now, were you were you putting the economics? Now you're you're a spreadsheet guy. So were you putting the economics back into this or were you just flying by the seat of your pants? As well, you- in the beginning, I was just flying by the seat of my pants because it was okay. such a small thing. It was really not instrumental. And again, this was before Firebrand. Oh, yeah. This was before mm-hmm. Firebrand. So we were both in the middle of good corporate jobs. Yeah. We have, you know. This was a tax write-off. It was a tax write-off to yeah. me yeah. at all, all points. And that was something that was so funny with uh, just a little sidebar conversation here with Morgan. Like she didn't grow up in that. So I understand write-offs and, and buying things and stuff. And she's like, you are spending so much money. Like, okay. what are you doing? Like, we're buying squeeze shoots and pipe fence and all this <laughs> stuff and buying cows. And she's like, you, this is done. We are done. And then 
we filed our taxes and we got a pretty good return. And she's like, okay, this isn't so bad. (laughs) I was raised in a nest egg focused like mentality. You build your nest egg. You don't spend your nest egg, but it's different when you're on the farm. So um, yeah, you live in your nest egg. You live in your nest egg. That's right. (laughs) So yeah, I would say for sure though, all the things, all those same qualities that make you a good construction business owner, or at that time, corporate employee, right? All those same skills fed into what this became. I, the decision to start with cattle was just natural. Yeah. It was just something yeah. we wanted. We wanted to raise our kids in an ag setting. He had grown up with it. I really loved the idea of that lifestyle, even though it wasn't my day to day when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And so that was its own organic decision. But the building of what McComas Cattle Company has become is 100% influenced by all those same traits that make you a good person climbing the ladder at a corporate office or a good business owner as an entrepreneur, for sure. And it pointed us over really a pretty short time span in the grand scheme of things. Like we bought our first cow in 2017. Mm -hmm. And in 2019, we were like abandoning ship on the cow-calf thing. We're going seed stock. And it was um, really a strategic business move yeah. more than anything. I mean, uh, yes, he loves researching like pedigrees and the genetics. That part of it was just really interesting to him. But from a business standpoint, all those same stress decisions, like weights, counterbalances, pros and cons, all those things that you put into making business decisions on your town job went into this decision for us to become a seed stock operation. And that was like really in 2019, that's where we saw that we could actually make this a viable enterprise mm-hmm. kind of coupled with what we were doing and our town jobs. And so it's something. So that's when the dollars and cents of it actually started to be like, OK, if we're going to do this, this needs to be a successful enterprise. We're OK with adding assets and, and the balance sheet growing. And, you know, maybe the, the P&L looks thin, but the balance sheet is growing every year, mm-hmm. every year and putting that forward. And really, I would say that was a huge thing. I think, I don't remember if it was in 19 or 20 that we moved the cattle operation into QuickBooks or maybe 21, but having your ag operation in an accounting software, I think is the biggest thing ever we've ever done because Morgan threw me financials at the end of the first year. And I was like, I did what? (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad you bring this up because this is what we work with on a lot of our clients. Um, and it is eye opening when you actually hold yourself accountable. Yes. And if there's no metric of measure, then you can't, you can't measure what you can't see. And you guys, I, it's funny that you say that because that is a hundred percent what we work with, with these guys. And, and you'd be shocked. There's million dollar ag operations that have horrible books. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's this mentality or there was for me when we were starting it of like, yes, record keeping is obviously crucial in any business in all facets, whether it's your, you know, cow paperwork or if it's your books or if it's whatever. Record keeping is important on all those areas. But you feel like 
oh, I can keep it or, oh, yeah, it's okay. I'll wait till the end of the month and go back and reconcile it all or the end of a quarter and go back and reconcile it all. And let me just tell you, doing it manually makes it so hard on yourself. Just buy the software. Buy the software. There are tools that will make your life so much easier because I tried to do all of this on a spreadsheet. Which like, we did. Yeah, we, I mean, we did in a spreadsheet. I did it. Yeah, we did it manually for a long time. And I feel like I learned a lot that way, but just buy the software, you know, buy, use the tools that I are agree. available to you. I agree. That's yeah. That's what uh, Holly's side of the business. She works uh, pharmacist, which is uh, under uh, Empire Ag. We uh, that's that's what she focuses on is is the book side of things. Yeah. And oh my gosh, trying to train farmers and ranchers who have they've got a legal pad that they just kind of yeah. jot down, you know, notes along the way as they're in the pickup. And, you know, if you're the notorious guy that shows up with a shoebox full of receipts at the end of the year, you know, like, how, hey, accountant, how did I do? <laughs> I My mean, family did that way. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it's it, it's just the stakes have changed so much with ag operations and we've got these preconceived notions and, and there's some really big money being made in certain certain aspects. And it depends on how they manage their business. Um and then there's others that are struggling and barely breaking even or even losing uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars and don't even realize that they are. Yeah. And uh, I think that's such a big thing, too. Like in, in our financial world, we keep everything so segmented and nothing crosses a line like everything has its own pot of money to work out of. And I think whenever we transitioned to that, that was really eye opening too. like. We might be making doing well in the construction side, but we're mm -hmm. on the line of credit for this quarter or a quarter in the cattle company side or whatever it is to get mm -hmm. through to a uh, bull sale season or, or however we're operating at that point. So it really gives you a true evaluation of that entity at that moment in time to really hold yourself accountable to are, are we being profitable? Are we making the right decisions? Are we following the plan that we set forth and having a plan is just. I mean, the plan can change, but you always have to have a really solid direction of this is where we're going and this is what we're doing. Because it's a business. It, it is, is a, business. a business. It's a passion project, but it's a business. Can you imagine if you were just a sole prop running Firebrand and the cattle operation, co-mingling expenses, ju juggling a line of credit like this? It would be a mess. It would be a mess. And, and it would be so much unnecessary stress because it doesn't take that much additional work to set it up to function the way it needs to function. Yes, you do have to do a little like if you're operating that way, it takes a minute to clear it up. But then you're set and you're good and you can move forward with, um, like Kyler said, such accountability and such clarity on the decisions that you're making. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. It's on the reports that you're getting. And it's been so inter integral on Firebrand too. Just jumping back into that for a second, but our record keeping is in the construction business is very very good, and mm -hmm. we have to, we have bonding companies that bond our projects on a lot of public work and stuff. So they want to see true and actual financials, and it's allowed us to grow 
so much with those institutions because we had really solid books in place. It's not always, yes, you're being profitable. Yes, you're doing this, but how are you accounting for it? Do you know where you're at on a daily, weekly, monthly basis to be able to project where you're going to need help or if you're solid for? I'll give you a good example. A friend of mine in construction, we were talking about this and he was doing a lot of cost plus jobs. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Those costs didn't get coded to the right job. Oh no! Yes, it's all in the same account. Yes, it's all under the same company. But if you don't account for it, you can't plus it and actually have a profit. And, you know, and you do that on a $10,000 deal or a $50,000 deal. It's real money. And yeah. It makes the business struggle. And I just think this is huge. I just feel like this so undertaught, even in universities, you know, Absolutely. we don't get it in high school, like running a business and the importance of that. We always toss to the side because we all want to be the boss. But mm-hmm. some of those tasks and duties that we take care of are bigger than you could ever imagine. Yeah. Yeah. We own a construction company and I spend probably a third of my time in books. Sure. I mean, that's just the reality of it. You have to know and understand your cost and your inputs to be able to maximize a profit out of it. And that's just knowing and understanding that and where you are and what you can capitalize on or what you may have a loss coming up on and being able to account for those things. It's really, really crucial to success to be able to see, foresee that and just know in, in a true reality where you're at. Yeah. And just as important on the cattle side, honestly, when we talked about with the firebrand thing earlier, our come to Jesus, right? Our, our come to Jesus in our relationship Mm -hmm. of him saying, I need a partner. I need a partner on these things. And me saying, well, I'm over here keeping us going, but okay, here I go. The, the compromise that was made as a result of that conversation was I'm not ready to leave my corporate job and jump to firebrand but I will jump into this cattle company with you and really start pulling some weight there because Mm -hmm. we are just crazy. And we're trying to scale these two businesses at one time, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, looking back, I'm like, what were we doing? But then here we are sitting here doing it still today. But um, yeah, so that was, that was really the result of that conversation is a weight had to be lifted somewhere. And I didn't, I wasn't ready to leave my job. We weren't in a position really for me to leave my job yet. Um, And I liked my job. And, uh, but I could help more with the cattle company side of things. That was something that I could do. And so one of the biggest things that came from that, which was um, in the summer of 2021, Because like I said, I had been just kind of that person with the notebook, putting it in Excel every now and then, keeping those records that way. And does it work? Like, yeah, it worked. At the end of the year, we filed a tax return. It worked. Did it work well? No. And was I making it harder on myself? Totally. Um, And was I making it harder on him? Yes, because you don't have clear, quick visibility to what's happening. So that decision for me to really say, all right, I'm in, I'm in on the cattle company. I'm going to, we are going to get this straight and we are going to run this like a business was huge for us. Um, Which it was crucial in that year because that's the year that we really scaled up 
the whole cattle operation was in 21. So we went from a smaller operation to leasing a lot of ground and we'd put, um, you know, just continued to buy really solid registered cattle. And we're like, well, you can only have so many registered cows. If we're going to flush cows, we need recips. So now we're back into commercials to get a good recip herd. And we had retained um, some of our old cows that we originally had that had been recips. And then we bought a, a group of recips out of Montana from uh, my brother-in-law's dad. And that really kind of helped us out. That year really put a really solid calf crop on the ground, but we bit off more than we could chew with our lease ground with the seed stock side. So we, we bought heifers and started breeding heifers to have some replacement heifers to, for, we didn't know if we were going to keep them or sell them that year. And so we went and pretty much two X the cattle company in, in 21. And so it, it grew a lot. And the end of 21 came, we sold, sold the replacement heifers, sold bulls really good that uh, in 22. And we're like, man, we got to do this again because 21 was great. I mean, it was, it was profitable. It was successful. Calf crop keeps getting better every time we're figuring out what we did wrong and what we're doing right. And so we really doubled down. And for Oklahoma and Texas too, 21 and 22 are drought years. Sure. So everybody's struggling for grass. Everybody's struggling for hay. And we're trying to grow a cattle operation in the middle of that, which is crazy too. Yeah. Which <laughs> I was bound and determined to do it. Yes. So we're, we had some, some key things that had to happen though for that to fall in place, right? The way that he's describing it, because it did. It changed very quickly. Once we decided we're seed stock, we're doing it. The The key thing there was embryos because sure. we have a herd of commercial cows. And so we really went hard, like he said, on recips. But guess what? Recips require ground. And sure. our home place, we weren't willing to overburden it you know we weren't really willing to sacrifice the quality of the grass around our house and so at the end of 2020 if you'll recall when all the wheels are falling off kyler's on his hiatus we're getting ready to launch some business but we don't know what yet and covid was going and covid's on. happening mm -hmm. and we had a newborn all of this was going on um we found a lease in that ground it was that game on moment for us. Mm -hmm. I mean, we needed the ground for the recips, for the embryos to give us this springboard of genetics to start a seed stock operation because we were committed. Sure. And so now it's drought time. <laughs> Those infamous words for a cattleman. <laughs> I mean, you know, and like he said, here we are trying to really scale this thing that we're committed to. We are in mm -hmm. uh, during a terrible time for ranchers and any sure. kind of cattle producers. The good thing was it gave us some opportunities because some a lot of people fell on hard times, right, during that drought year. And so we had yeah. the chance to buy, like he was saying, heifers, yeah. more recips. And we were picking up cattle on that were yeah. pretty cost effective at the time because yeah. there wasn't grass to go with them. And we had some grass yeah. that, to make it work. Yeah. And one thing that was good, we had that that lease place. We could give our, our home place rest during the summer. Yes. Grass grow. 
bring everything back, calve out our falls, breed everything, and then start with the springs. And it was it was a good good pair for our operation because mm-hmm. in the wintertime, you know, we like to, I mean, if we're going to be able to AI stuff and set up recips, I don't want to go chase them all over the country because we're sure. still doing our other uh, other other work. You know, we'll have, still have work to do. They'll have uh, a paying job. Paying job. And <laughs> it was in that time frame though that the the cattle company started to be profitable, and it was a it was an actual yeah its own entity, its own thing. It had grown into something. So now we've got to manage it. Yes. Can you see how the come to Jesus happens it, when you're in this partnership, when you're in a husband and wife partnership, you have multiple business entities, you both have corporate jobs, you're both kind of leaders by nature. It's bound to happen. But yeah, I mean, really 21 for the, was it the biggest year of our lives yeah. together um, from a business perspective, for sure. Because I mean, the cattle company was primed 2020 for us had been all about like more, 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 bye, bye, bye. And, um, 21, we were like ready to go, but Kyler is over here starting firebrand on his own. Cause I'm not there yet. Sure. And, um, it really, it wasn't, it was a crazy time, but such an interesting time with, all the conditions that were around us, but also happening just environmentally. I mean, it was so dry. Mm-hmm. It was so dry. Everyone, I feel like, was kind of culling cattle. And here we are adding cattle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like you said, at the end of 21, all things considered, the cattle company looked great. Really I mean, good. it looked Good. Yeah. And we're our bull customer base was growing. Yep. We're adding more, um, you know, guys that want replacement heifer groups at 10 or 20. Those mm-hmm. things were really starting to come in together. And what was it in, I think, in 2020, I also went to AI school because it had got to the point where we were needing somebody out to AI all the time. I'm like, man, I really got to start catching these ones and twos that are in heat or smaller groups. So yeah. that was really pivotal in us kind of growing the seed stock thing too, to be able to be more self-sufficient on that. Sure. Um, so, and it was, it's cool. I really, really enjoy it. I set up, set up a group of heifers yesterday. I dipped out of work. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, but it it is, it was it was cool to have that growth, but at the same time with Firebrand growing and the cattle company growing, everything started coming to a head. Like yeah. at, at some point in everybody's life, they've got to realize and understand that too much is too much. Sure. And we were on a collision course with that. And I think that was just the good Lord really break checking us or checking mm-hmm. us into the rail of life to say, you need to slow down and pick something that you can really strongly move forward with. And that was really the end of, of 22 is when. I mean, mother nature did it for us. (laughs) Mother nature said, here's your breaks. And (laughs) like he said, it did come to a collision course because 22 was terrible for as far as drought goes. Thank goodness. We had that lease. We had the land, but at that time, I mean, we had over, 130 head of cattle. Mm -hmm. We had them all at the lease, thankfully, to preserve the grass at home. 
we knew it was a drought year. So we stocked mm-hmm. up on hay and we got a good kind of reserve set up there. But then, done, 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 in October of 2022, we lost the lease. We lost the lease. Oh, that's always what happens. Yeah. So we're like, we have just like been growing and building, and it was out of the, the necessity for grass. They needed their ground back. And oh. it's something that they hadn't been using, and but it was a great plus, place for us. So we're like, you know, naively, we didn't really equate that into our business plan. So now what are we going to do? Yeah. And then, so, like you said, that the people that owned that ground had not been using it for that purpose. Right. And so we're over here thinking, they don't need that grass. We're just going to keep scaling, keep scaling, mm-hmm. keep scaling. And then it was a drought. So they needed it. They needed it for their own app. So the rug got pulled out from under. So now we've got this. Those those infamous words nobody wants to utter at the kitchen oh. table. Are we yeah. going to have a dispersal? <laughs> it was devastating. I mean, oh my gosh. We, I mean, because we've been, you know, any anything we do, we're always all in and doubling down and, and just going to grow and make it make it work as best we can and, and scale it. And and the quality was there. Like we were really starting to see. The yeah. ET calves were coming the way that we wanted to see them and really making better decisions than we had in the in the beginning and really right. growing the right direction. And then we're faced with, okay, no, so now let's go try to find more lease ground, which was laughable in, in a drought here because I mean it didn't matter how big a stack of hundred dollar bills you had, somebody else had more. And yeah. that was just the plain fact of it. And we went to the the school land auction and I spent probably three days looking at lease places and yeah. completely got blown out on everything. Well, and yeah. just, I mean, to talk about that. So like private leases during that time, it was near impossible, right. To come by right. any kind of private agreement because everyone's holding their ground. Everyone needs their ground. And so in Oklahoma, we have school land that comes up. It's public land. They lease it out. And Kyler spent, so we found out in October, we were losing the lease. Like we had 10 days before the school. Went yeah. We had a really short amount of time before auctions opened up. And Kyler was like, we were not ready to have that dispersal conversation yet. We were holding on because we had just, like he said, we were just getting the results. We really wanted to see and so he spent hours and hours, days and days, hundreds of miles, really crammed pretty close together sure. to get ready for all these auctions. And we didn't get a single thing. Hmm. And it was, I mean, with that too, we were, we were talking about that earlier. I had kind of abandoned the construction company for a couple months. Sure. Trying to keep the other entity afloat, try to find a place to go with cows. Are we going to continue to do this? How are we going to continue to do this? And it's stressful because it's something that we were pouring just as much effort. It wasn't repaying us as much as the construction company was, but just amount, just the same amount of time and heart and desire mm-hmm. and grit to go back to grit. I mean, to try to make all of this work, the the cattle business is a tough place to be because sure. you're so sub, subjected to, uh, you know, commodities markets, what the weather's doing, uh, mm-hmm. 
what the cattle market's doing that month or that week for for the commercial guys and how much they can afford on their bull and, and replacement female purchases, like what those things look like and they play into our business and we have no control over that. So it's it was there's so many things in play at that point. And after we didn't get that lease, the anything at the school lease auctions, we were like, okay, what do we do now? So we're still hunting around that whole yeah. fourth quarter of the year. Like, okay, well, we can sell this group of heifers and this group of cows that we bought. That's not, that really is not any heartburn. We'll make a little bit of money on those. That's fine. So we'll reduce by a third doing this. And then uh, we'll cut these recips that we haven't put embryos in. And then, then we're left with like, you know, the seed stock, all, all our seed right. stock, which we're down to like, you know, 50 cows now because the recip herd was here. And, and we, thankfully, like you said, we, we had kind of managed our grass well at our home place in the previous mm -hmm. couple of years. We had good hay stored up. So we were like, let's get to spring. Let's get to spring and, and maybe something will come up and we won't have to completely shut this thing down. Right. Uh, um, and then because we were wanting to hold on to that core group of yeah. that we'd made because we were I mean, at that point, we were we were two generations in on some cattle. So we were like AI and, you know, two and three year olds that we'd been making. And so those pedigrees and those uh, all the brain power that I'd put together on trying to put those breedings together to make the cattle that we want to make. It was yeah. finally there. Like we're ready to grow off of that set of cows. And it just and wasn't in the park. No, I mean, by February, we, I mean, we have three ponds on our home place and water was low. Yeah. No, no. Water was really low. And that's really when we had the conversation of it we're going to have, time. we're going to disperse. We're going to disperse. We were, and we really had no option because nobody really had any options. Yeah. And that was, I mean, that, that was spring of this year. And it was, gosh, it was tough because we had like a really, really solid set of, you know, 10, 11 year old cows, those original cows that we started with. Oh, no. It was still, it was still part of the herd that were still cranking out really nice, really nice calves. We're still making us money. But, you know, unless they're true donor quality, nobody wants a 10 or 11 year old cow. So where do they go? To the cell board. So, and I do, I mean, that will probably be one of the toughest moments was kicking that back gate open and watching all those shortbread registered cows go for 1300 bucks. And some of those cows, I mean, we'd, we'd paid really good money for, and there was not a dang thing we could do about it. I mean, it was sure. just was. What they were too old. That group was old. Yeah, well, so yeah. But, but still, there's a lot of good, yeah, solid cows mm -hmm. because, and we still have a few that are of age that I mean still cranking out cows you can't knock a cow just because she's old as she's producing it looks good, good. yeah yeah there's ne there's never a good time to sell a cow no no and we had and we had been culling and I mean it's not like we'd held yeah. on to everything we had been really keen yeah. on culling and really pushing in any time that something was a problem but then that left so we got the old cows out and now we're left with the prime great they're all good. Yeah. Every single thing we have left is good, really good. And so now we have to make another cut. And that one, that one was tough. Yeah, because really, I mean, we just couldn't, we couldn't find land. 
Mm-hmm. And we're also not going to foolishly buy something that's not going to pencil out and eventually make us money. Right. So we weren't willing to just go drop a ton of money on ground that we didn't feel like was going to pay us back ever. So we, but we still had too many going into spring and summer. I mean, we had too many to keep at our home place. And so so, at that time we were like, okay, these cattle are good enough that we have to get them somewhere. Let's do an online sale. Let's try to figure something out. We're mm-hmm. right in the middle of bull sale season. Nobody's got time for you. Everybody's been booked out for six months. I mean, oh, yeah. I, can't tell, I called eight different photographers and they're like, yeah, we can get to you in May. And I'm like, I don't have. We don't have. We can't get, get to, to May. May. I can't get to we May. Can't. I don't have that time. That's right. <laughs> and so it was it was really just I mean, it was poor timing on our end or poor planning. I would say it was an education moment for us just not having. We held on. We weren't ready to give we it up. We were trying really, sure. really hard to keep everything together because we built it. And finally, I mean, it was like in that early spring or Q1 of this year, I, the good Lord was like, you've got to make a decision and you need to pick where you're really going to put most of the pressure this year. And we said, we have to let this go. We have to put this down not completely, but get to a point where we need to put more emphasis on firebrand. And I will say that it's, it was the best thing that we ever did Absolutely. from both as- aspects, not only the construction side, but also the cattle side. And fortunately there was a guy that had bought um, replacement heifers from us in the past. We didn't know he was in the seed stock game as well. Mm-hmm. And I was texting him, hey, I've got four or five uh, open heifers, commercial open heifers left that are really, really good. And he was like, well, I was wanting some seed stock stuff. And I was like, oh, you're kidding. So I sent him all the pedigrees and he said, you work on a price for the group and I'll be there on Friday or whenever it was. And uh, he's really super good guy faith-based guy and just saw the quality there. And he's, I mean, of course it's cattle deal. So you had to haggle a little bit to get. Oh yeah, absolutely. But he helped us out and uh, bought that whole group. So we didn't have to have to have an online sale or didn't have to get really desperate or crazy with what we did. That that may have been the good Lord just looking out for you right there. Because we were, I mean, you guys have to think at the same time, Firebrand is booming. I mean, yeah. this 2023 for Firebrand has been, I think we'll look back and be like 2023 was like a cornerstone year yeah. for yeah. the company. We made huge strides. And at the same time where it just feels like everything that's happening that's out of our control is pulling the cattle company down. There wasn't a bright spot. Like we couldn't yeah. win. Like every to every yeah. corner we turned, we got another leg kicked out from under the stool. And there was like nothing we could do about it. We tried sure. and tried yeah. and tried. And finally, whenever we just said, okay, enough is enough. And we're going to drop to the very bottom. We're going to pick the best 20 cows that we have. And that's just has to be what it is. And we mm-hmm. kept all our replacement heifers too and our bull crop. And that was such a hard decision to get to because one it thing, was crazy, but it was, it was like some provenance that was being given to us because when the cattle company took every knock that it could take, I feel like Firebrand at the beginning of this year got every open door we could have possibly gotten. And mm-hmm. it just helped us. It was 
excruciating, but it did help us say, we're going to put our focus here. Sure. We're going to put our focus over here on Firebrand for just a minute. We're going to make these hard decisions over here because we don't really have another choice. Um, and like he said, that guy came and really that, that cut hurt that last final cut. And then we just kept only the ones we knew we wanted to rebuild with when that time yep. comes. Yep. Um, and, and Kyler and I talk about it, but the, they made the deal and I run the books. And so I'm sitting at my desk in QuickBooks and I'm just crying writing up this invoice because it's just all of our work. Yeah. So much work. Um, and you know, they're going somewhere good and like all of that, you know, somebody else is going to be able to profit off of it. It's still a great thing for our brand. You know, they're getting great products from us. But man, it was brutal. It was so brutal. Um, but like he said, now we look back and we're like, that's the best thing that could have uh, happened to the cattle company. I had this conversation ex with a guy in Kansas, same situation where he had to sell his herd. And like he was tore up. It was the yeah. first time in 30 years that that he did not have a hoof on the place. And, you know, and we kind of coached through that in business. And, you know, sometimes taking the cards off the table, so to speak, mm -hmm. it's not a bad thing, you know? Yeah. Take a little moment to breathe and and refresh and get, uh, you know, get, get the focus on Firebrand, but yet realize you're coming back at some point. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I think too, it just, it's yeah. just like everything else, you know, experience really does, you know, that's the best wisdom that you can gain from is what you've done in the past or watching what other people have done. And now we know, you know, obviously we are not going anywhere. We're still pushing forward, but what, however we go is going to be solid and we're going to have a plan that there's not a rug to get jerked out from under us and learning from that and, and just trying to grow and have something that's really solid that, mm -hmm. I mean, our neighbor said, Hey, there's a half section up here that you can lease next year. And I'm like, one year is not enough. Yeah. Like, we've yeah. got to have a rock solid plan for Longer this amount term. of time or find a piece of ground that we can buy and do something with to expand our operation mm -hmm. because it is, I mean, I, I never want to go through that again because that no. was tough. I mean, she cried when she wrote the check and it was tough loading them on the trailer. Mm -hmm. So we've gone through that same thing where developments picked up some of our good farms that, uh, yeah. you know, they're, they're planting houses on that ground and, and we'll never get it back. Uh, yeah. you know, and they, and they want $22,000 an acre. It'll never cash flow any kind of, I no. mean, it's just, it's just nuts whenever you go to looking at, at what ag is battling right now. And, yeah. and I, I'm in the same boat. I, I'm, I'm like, I, I've got to find me a, my, our own ground, uh, yeah. like stop looking at these leases just because everybody's competing mm -hmm. and it, it's just what we do in ag. We yeah. jump on the next lease and it, and, and those terms maybe aren't favorable for us longer term growth. And, and so I think it's, it's going to be an, interesting evolution as we as we move forward because yeah. um, we we've got to we've got to do what's right as a business owner and not just blindly jumping yeah. on some of this stuff for and the that's sake the of thing uh, we have it has to pencil for us or we're not going to do it i mean we we're okay with being small and just doing it 
in a sure. much smaller scale as long as we can maintain some profitability with it and still you know kick out kick out some cattle that we're proud of but you know when we go forward it has to be in a profitable profitable manner but at the same time like you're saying with ground prices they've they've threefolded in seven years around us yep that is really 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 tough to pencil out and get your way around Oklahoma was my plan B when all the all the <laughs> folks moved into into Texas. I was like, man, we're we're gonna go up there, and it it has jumped up a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really has. It is. It's crazy that stuff has has jumped as high as it is, and now you know, obviously, with financial rates being what they are, it makes it even tougher to go mm-hmm. buy raw ground on a on a twenty year with eight percent interest. That's that takes some serious math to get over on the cow side. Absolutely. So. I think overall, having to disperse was just another one of those like forced pauses. You know, we had been through one before and it gives you perspective. It gives you some clarity. We were able to really focus on Firebrand this year and we really were able to figure out exactly what we want the cattle company to be. Because yeah. when you're when you're growing and you're first learning, especially for us, it all happened pretty quick, right? Sure. You you do evolve, like you were saying, through that process. And um there's not always the luxury of time to look back and be like, well maybe I wouldn't do that exact thing again. Or maybe I wouldn't you're just rolling so fast that this has really given us some time to look back and figure out exactly what we loved that we did exactly what we probably wouldn't do again if we did it again Mm -hmm. um and get together a good plan for what does the relaunch look like because it's not going away it is absolutely as crucial to us as anything that we're doing i mean this cattle company is here and so when we really bring it back out, we've had, you know, these three quarters of 2023 so far to figure out what we want that to look like. And we're not going to do it until it's sustainable and profitable. And we have a rock solid foundation, like Kyla was saying. But mm-hmm. we've got this luxury of time, even though it was painful. <laughs> to figure out really what kind of product we want to put out there. And I think that's always hard for like entrepreneurial type people is like, you have to have progress right now. It has to be, you have to progress. Sometimes you can't. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's okay to take the breather and take the pause and collect your thoughts. And I mean, it doesn't matter if you do it today or 18 months from now or two years, you're still going to get, you'll get to where you're going, but sometimes the good Lord's going to put a little bit of a detour in your plan and you got to be okay with that. So. Absolutely. I'm, I I think this gives you guys a, a really good opportunity that a lot of folks don't get. And that's where you can develop your why you can develop your core values. You can develop, you know, and your vision for what the cattle company is going to look like moving forward. And I, I know we, a lot of guys are like, ah, that's, that's just hokey. I don't, I don't need to do that. But, but look in corporate America, look at the difference between Dell computers and, and Apple. Yeah. I mean, like spend the time to differentiate yourself. If you're going to be an Angus breeder, don't just be a cookie cutter Angus breeder. Yeah. Be a yeah. guy that's bringing something to the table where, you know, 
you can revolutionize that breed or yeah. whatever, whatever you're trying to tackle. And I think that's, that's awesome that you guys haven't allowed this setback to uh, shake you to your core. Yeah. Um, Cause a lot of us identify, you know, with that, what if we're farming or we're ranching, yeah. like, my gosh, if I send the cows, then I'm not a rancher, you know, yeah. in the mm-hmm. community. It's like well, it was that same thing too, going back to the beginning of Firebrand, going from, you know, ten or twelve million dollar projects to doing two and three hundred thousand dollar projects and having that scale drop back. And I've got to be okay with that. And we've got to sure. do the same thing on the cattle side. Okay, let's let's really put the screws to this and uh, we need to focus on making uh, uh, eight hundred bucks on that bull and mm-hmm. getting the instrumental small steps made to create a really solid path on it on a individual level on those cattle and, and figuring that out again and really developing a core belief, a core thing, instead of just having this shotgun approach to mm-hmm. growth. And we've got to do it correctly and move forward again. Hasn't stopped me from buying a few cows this fall. But. Yeah. <laughs> We're laying the groundwork. That's okay. We're laying the groundwork. Um, but yeah. And I think the other part too, that's a very huge part of the reality of really relaunching MCC as a seed stock producer is how it coincides with Firebrand yeah, now. Sure. Because when we started this, Firebrand was not a thing. It was just a dream. Mm-hmm. And then it became this like all-encompassing reality. But now it's a functioning, stable business that's going to have to live alongside whatever we turn MCC into. Yeah. And um, so giving us time to figure that part out what that looks like, how we divide those resources and um, kind of how we keep both things functioning at the best possible capacity going forward. So it's very much a, a balancing act. You know, we're business owners, we're married, we're parents, we're ranchers. We've got a lot of hats going on. Um, but really, sometimes the things that seem like the most devastating blows just give you the best opportunity to kind of course correct and plan for the future so and one thing that it's helped us do too is get a little bit more creative with the reduction um morgan started selling beef halves and quarters and getting sure. customers lined up on that on our coals because we got i mean our coals are really really good <laughs> steers and good heifers and so you know why send those to the sale barn if we can create a little bit more value there. And I tell you what, that thing has exploded for us. I mean, not that it's big as far as our scale goes, but we've already got 24 sold and it's 23. So you, you got to realize those aren't coals. Those are hand selected for your, your exactly. beef program. <laughs> yeah. It's just, a, I mean, you have to make adjustments in business, right? Where you've got to keep it alive. And so even though it's quieter right now, it's a little bit more quiet. Sure. There are different ways to kind of keep things afloat. And so that was a change that we made this year. We might not have, you know, the head count that we had. We might not be flushing and buying all these embryos and doing all these same things at the at the level that we were. But there's a different way that we can keep this going until we are ready to relaunch it. So, um, Absolutely. yeah, that's where we're at, kind of. <laughs> Well, I like that. I like that. I like the advice that you guys have, have given the uh, the listeners here. And uh, 
I think we can we can learn a lot uh, as entrepreneurs, uh, you know, in agribusiness. As a farmer, rancher, I, I think we all, on average, I, when I look back at at all the guys that uh, that I work with, uh, on average, I would say three to four businesses within the farm is what they have. And so I think if if they could get the structure and get the systems in place, that uh, I think they could increase profitability you know, twofold, Absolutely. probably easy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so There's so many different revenue sources and that's something that we've really learned on the construction side that we were trying to implement, but having holdings company that are leasing back to your other companies. I mean, you mm-hmm. just because we're doing that on the construction side, doesn't mean you can't do it in your ag side or however those you have to get creative to create profitability for yourself. You can't just get up and go to work every day. You got to live Live in a creative realm to really maximize stuff. Yes. So, and realize absolutely. that you don't have to figure it all out completely on your own. I mean, that's so huge. Find a good banker. Find mm-hmm. a good lawyer. Find somebody that's like 15, 20, 25 years ahead of you that's mm-hmm. thriving in a way that you admire and join arms with them. Right. Use your resources, make your own resources, make a network for yourself so that you don't have to know it all. You're not relying on just yourself to know all the things all the time. Find people who are experts in those fields and ask for their help. I mean, that's been huge for us. I think it's it is huge. Um, I know within our network, Empire Ag, like we. We have a safe spot where guys can get on, bounce ideas, and and visit about business growth, where they want to go, and and you've got folks that have have stumped their toe, and uh, you know, and and that expertise, uh, like you said, I mean, having uh, professionals involved in your growth and and understanding beforehand before you create a mess. Um, yes, that's that, always that good. Is, that is huge. That's huge. So, well, guys, I thank you for for being with us today. Um, wish you the best as uh, all your your endeavors uh, continue to grow. I know we'll we'll be hearing about you guys having a production sale in, in the years to come. Something will happen. Yeah, that's the goal. That is the goal. <laughs> Well, that's it for today's Your Ag Empire podcast. You can find us across social media at Your Ag Empire. If you feel so inclined, give us a review wherever you're streaming or visit youragempire.com to visit our show notes. Be good or be good at it.